This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. How good was Eminem at the halftime of the Super Bowl? <laughs> They told him, I'm reliably informed. You can't take the knee. Don't take the knee. But it was just such an amazing moment when he did. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Ginny's allowed to go on a family holiday. And I felt really uncomfortable on her behalf that her husband wasn't stepping in to say to Carl, this was my role. I should have been here in Australia. This is my responsibility. We started singing, Don't Ask Me Why, Jake the Pig on um, Christmas Eve. <laughs> I don't know why we started. Anyway. Because you were legless? We were, well, we actually weren't, but we were killing ourselves laughing. And I, and I kept saying, oh, I don't really think we should be singing Rolf Harris songs. Word all went nuts when moist was the word of the day, Caro. <laughs> now, look, in defence of moist, what do you say? The cake is wet? No. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 205 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I'm with my friend Corrie Perkin, who, Corrie, before you speak, our friend Susie bowed me up the other day and said, can you please tell Corrie I didn't say she was naughty, I said she was the cheeky one. Get it right, said Susie. You are a little bit cheeky. And what have you got in your little box for us today? Oh, look, I've got it. I have a couple of cheeky apologies. Hello to Susie and her beautiful dog, Biscuit, who is fast becoming Panda's best friend. Uh, Caro, this was a really good pickup by our friend Anna from Cape Merchants in Sorrento, who said to me, you talked the other day about the Sue Gray report in London and how it really annoyed you that when it seems to be a female's report, it's Sue Gray, whereas if it's a male report, it's the Morrison inquiry or the whatever. She said, you mentioned not once but twice the Kate Jenkins report. Oh, guilty. I did. Anna, good pickup. In my defence, because Kate is a friend of yours and mine, Caro, I felt an intimacy with her. However, her report is the Jenkins report. It's funny. I thought about I thought about that conversation when I read that they've resurrected, and again, is it Tony Fitzgerald? They've resurrected him anyway to do an inquiry into yet another major issue in Queensland. After it must be decades. I mean, we were the nineteen eighties. He did the uh, the review into uh, late eighties into Joe Bjorki Peterson's government into corruption, yeah, corruption in, in Queensland, yes. and then it was an unbelievable inquiry that. And he was pretty disappointed with um, what eventually eventuated as it happened. But um, yes, good point, Anna. Good well, point. And also, dare I say that I was in a, in a, a little gathering the other night and uh, two, three of the guests, in fact, the only other three women at the table were all in puffy sleeves and two of them in particular were really I think, miffed. I think to I'm in a bit of a puff today, actually. <laughs> they were really <laughs> miffed to hear that I had given puffy sleeves uh, a hard time. And I will reiterate again, puffy sleeves work if you're a particular shape and height and hair type. And also it's all about balance. As my daughter-in-law, Lib, said last night, who is um, in the fashion world and so incredibly perceptive about these things, she said, everything in fashion is about balance. And it's so true. And I have to say that the guests the other night around our dinner table, they all looked beautiful. They had absolutely nailed the puff. And the look, which is not to say that everybody can. Well, I agree with your friends. I didn't agree with your puffy comment. Look, we've had some great feedback. Our new segment, Dear Caro and Corrie, has unearthed all manner of dilemmas. We've got, people might think it's a more shallow dilemma today than the one about um, giving or lending or helping your children with their houses, but um, we'll do it anyway. I have seen a great new film, um, which I actually went on a Valentine's Day date to watch with my daughter, um, which was quite funny, and we had a lovely time. And it actually is very – it's a very good talking point, this film, which is 
death on the Nile to do with the topic we're also going to talk about today, which, in fact, it was a very good idea of yours about appreciating art when the person involved in that art has been disgraced. Anyway, that's another topic. Thank you to Sophie O'Halloran, who um, points out that um, The Age actually published that Brittany actually herself, Brittany Higgins, um, leaked the text message um, regarding um, Barnaby sorry. Joyce, exactly that, that she herself leaked that text. I, I think that um, when you send a te- group text to a lot of different people, I mean it's probably not all that surprising. Thanks to Liz in Hobart, whose philosophy regarding helping kids with houses has been shaped by her mother, her friends, and her own life. For what it's worth, she believes that lending rather than gifting encourages discipline. It attaches real value to money, and once repaid, the sum is available again, whereas a gift is a one-off. Not sure I agree with that, but you make a very very good argument. Um, Jane Miller. I do agree with her, by the way. I did say that last week. I think that lending does, you're absolutely right, it does instill discipline. Go on, sorry. It it does, but if you can't give your children things once in a while, you know, I mean. Oh, yes. Oh, I I think that is, that's. If, if you can afford it, absolutely. Yep. Yes. Um, and um, Jane Miller on Instagram agrees. She's on your team, Corrie, regarding and just like that. She couldn't stand it. So <laughs> she's only watched two episodes and I've just got to say, Jane, you've got to stick with it. This is obviously the the follow-up to Sex in the City. She thought Miranda was unrecognisable from Miranda in the original series. Disagree. Oh, and I've been watching The Gilded Age, Corrie, in which um, Cynthia Nixon has a major role with Cynthia Bransky. It is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait. And we should talk about that next week, Caro. We will. Anyway, um, she agrees with you. She's in her early 50s and thought the depiction of women of her age was stereotypical and the perception of clueless, entitled women who lacked any social awareness was pretty disappointing. So there we are. And um, very quickly, Corrie, the other big thing that's happened in my world and our media world this week is that the Melbourne Press Club, in a, I believe, incredibly hasty and not following procedures correctly decision, have removed Sam McClure's Quill Award, which he won last year for his coverage of the um, Adelaide Crows Collective Minds story. This is a moving story. I think there is um, a meeting happening pretty much as we're talking today in real time. So um, we can't say much more about it, but I know it's disappointed a lot of people and not just age and Channel 9 journalists. Yes, uh, we'll wait, wait and see what the Melbourne Press Club have to say when they have their meeting. Well, the you're al- an independent arbiter on this one. What did you think when you read about it? Uh, I was horrified. When the story was leaked to the Australian. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> look, I, I was horrified. I wonder who did that. I can't say anything too much about the Collective Minds, uh, the, the training camp and so on. We talked about that last year when you and Sam were writing stories about it. But to take someone's quill away when no one has come out and said this story is utterly false this story is factually incorrect, then I really think that there's been a lot of um, knee-jerk reaction here, and I won't say any more, but um, come on, Melbourne Press Club, do the right thing. Caro, I did want to mention also that um, a couple of people have said to me, uh, I've I've received a couple of texts and everything, you can find great diaries at this shop or that shop or this shop. After I left our podcast last week, I did go and buy a 2022 diary, one day to a page, I bought it at a news agency. It was 1995. I went to open it to put the birthdays in and all the other things. And you know what? I've now become a seven to a double page person. I realised the squashy little diary that I bought that I complained about last week actually is really good because you can see your whole week in front of you. So I'm now walking around with an untouched, if anybody wants one, 1995 for you special deal, $11, maybe 10 um, <laughs> Oh, golly, you can't sell it. <laughs> I can't take it back to the shop because it was Have on sale. It? No, no, I didn't touch it. I just opened oh, it up okay. to do it. And I thought, no, this doesn't feel right. So... So there we go. Caro, uh, Sunday night was the uh, – there was a lot of publicity surrounding this, pre-publicity. The PM's 60 Minutes interview, uh, Scott Morrison and Jenny Morrison sat down with Carl Stefanovic and had a good long chat at home. And, um, Jane, you might uh, just refresh our memories of what went down. A horrible, horrible person, a complete psycho. I feel it and bleed like everybody else. Do you? Of course I do. Fighting back. I'm letting you follow. After a week from hell. Watch out for the knives. Only from behind. 
tonight on 60 Minutes. You might need more than a miracle this time. You might need the second coming. <laughs> well, I believe in that too. The Prime Minister launches his secret weapon. What would you say to your 16-year-old self? <laughs> Run! <laughs> but can Jenny Morrison... I actually felt sick to my stomach. ...really save the government? Take me to the April sun in Cuba. You know what? If you're going to sing Dragons, April Sun in Cuba, get the lyrics right. Carrie, did you see that um, the, the members of Dragon, the, the former members who are still alive because a couple of them have died, have been outraged by this? Did you read this story at all? I, I, look, I, I did. I also, I don't know if you follow Roy and HG on Instagram, but um, Anna from the Op Shop pointed this out to us. Um, HG's um, comment that the stunning admission in the 60 Minutes Hoot and Nanny that's Soot is up all night wearing out his side of the bed, solving the nation's problems. It's a stumper. Carpet layers are scratching their heads trying to locate a locally woven broadloom that can take the strain. Look, you know, it, it probably was enjoyable and interesting television because we don't often see Jenny Morrison. It brought to mind for me that, you know, the times that political wives or husbands have been, you know, brought thrust into the spotlight at a time when they are most needed to solve or recover or um, reveal. I mean, we do not see much of Daniel Andrews' partner, except they did that unbelievable interview last year when he completely, dis when he was coming back to work after that horrific um, accident that um, so damaged his back. When they sat there talking about what actually happened, I, I thought that was pretty Im compelling TV because there were so many crazy rumours being spread around Victoria, dare I say, around the Mornington Peninsula about these ridiculous things that may or may not have happened, that watching them both together it was quite compelling. And who can forget um, the Jennifer Flowers affair and Bill bringing out Hillary? And I think that was before the election, wasn't it, when she sat beside him. I can't bear it when husbands bring their wives in Sometimes they talk it's about infidelity, Sometimes it's obviously is not in the Morrison's case. If you have someone like Theresa Rain, the wife of Kevin Rudd, that was interesting because she was the first Prime Minister's wife in Australia who had said, I'm going to continue my business and my career. She divested herself of businesses where there were conflicts of interest, but she kept uh, some positions. And she, she told us just before that 2007 election that she was going to continue to work. And I think a lot of women voters were, particularly women, some men too, uh, were very impressed by her, um, her, uh, her, her own individual take on Kevin, his career, his family life and their family life, the structure and how it had always worked because she had always worked and built up these successful businesses. So I loved that, that, um, that kind of moment. What I don't like is when politicians put their wives up there and kind of throw them under the bus. And I felt the other night when Carl kept probing about the trip to the family trip to Hawaii. Kevin uh, Scott Morrison was <laughs> noticeably quiet, and Jenny was the one who had to apologise. Jenny's allowed to go on a family holiday. I don't think anybody in Australia has a problem with her going on a holiday, and, but she was kind of taking. I felt like she was taking the rap for it, and I felt really uncomfortable on her behalf that her husband wasn't stepping in to say to Carl. This was this was my role. I should have been here in Australia. This is my responsibility. You know, keep Jenny out. I just found that really uncomfortable, the way he just quietly sat there with that weird smile, you know, that little grin that he has. Do you think that he, well, 60 Minutes posed the question, can she save the Prime Minister? Do you think she saved him electorally? I don't think that interview saved him electorally. I think it probably, on average, has possibly damaged him. Uh, I mean, really, the ukulele, not getting the words right of a great, even though Dragon is a New Zealand band, not getting the words right of a great national anthem um, from the 70s and 80s, and we still all sing it and love it, was pretty, pretty bad. But also two hours, Cuba, two hours an making... Cuba's analogy, isn't it, at that two, 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 hour, two hours making the curry, which is a few people have said on social media, doesn't he have anything better to do at the moment? Um, and also the fact that he'd taken up the ukulele over the past two years, I would have thought with all the lockdowns, uh, you know, as we know, aged care is a federal government problem. The number of deaths that we've, we've 
you know, the tragedy that's occurred in aged care. Look, uh, uh, really, and he's, at home, and he's at home learning, well, teaching himself the ukulele, every, Caro. Everybody needs a outlet. Everybody needs an escape. I don't actually have a problem with all of that. I think your why will, will, you know, be proven to be one of his worst misjudgments, really. And Possibly. The, and the sort of secrecy and sort of cover-up around it, which is always often just as bad as the actual... But inf- it was it was nice to see a human side. I have to say, you know, on that level, the interview worked. I was intrigued by Jenny Morrison. We haven't seen a lot of her in the last three years, so that was interesting. Uh, you know, a reminder that he has a it seems to be a terrific relationship with his daughters, which is great. He does seem to be a committed family man. Um, you know, when he was cooking the curry, there was no sense that this was awkward or it was a camera moment. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There's just been such a backlash on social media. And I do follow, I mean, people think that I'm a bit of a lefty, but I follow, I deliberately follow a lot of conservative, you know, Andrew Bolts and these sorts of, you know, um, social media. Is Andrew Bolt conservative? Is <laughs> Gag. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I just, um, there has been a backlash on both sides. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out. It, it remind was, you know, th- there are unwilling political wives too. And we, we talked about this before the podcast. Uh, our great old family friend, Jenny Ramston, who was married to Rob Doyle and is the mother of his three, three eldest children. Um, I remember her doing that walk around the Paran market when he was running for state election and um, he was... Was he? Yeah, was the op- opposition leader at the time, and you just felt Jenny probably didn't feel all that comfortable, and that was a more comfortable place to do it. But there've been some difficult ones. I mean, some people have just walked into political life and look as though they're made for it. Tammy Fraser, I reckon, was one absolutely fabulous. Even though some of his press people used to brief against Hazel. I think Hazel Hawke was a really loved... She grew into the role. I have to say when Bob went into opposite... When he first stood for the seat of Wills and he was in opposition... Very very quickly, soon became leader and prime minister, as we know. But um, Hazel, at that time, I remember interviewing her, and she was not the willing party in this one. She was not happy about Bob going off to Canberra. But she did grow into that role of first lady and, really well. And remember that, yeah, she did. And remember the dreadful treatment of um, Julia Gillard over her partner. Remember, she was Jim asked... Matheson. <laughs> she was asked on air whether he was gay over in It was Perth. terrible. I mean... Jeanette, Jeanette Howard was a terrific Prime Minister's wife. She was deeply involved in politics and very engaged. And John Howard would often credit her for uh, decision-making processes at home. And, they, you know, they would discuss things, which I think is always really helpful. As did, as did obviously, Malcolm Turnbull, always Correct. referred to Lucy. Anyway, this topic, I love this topic, and we talked about it earlier. Can we appreciate art, Corrie, even if it's been created by someone who has been... Um, cancelled in some way or another or been disgraced. Now I'm going to talk about Death on the Nile in a minute, which stars Army Hammer, who of course is upon um, sexual abuse charges. Um, they came to light after Disney, I think ultimately the producers of Death on the Nile, had made this film directed by Kenneth Branagh. I mean, they talked, apparently there was talk they were going to remove his character, but they just couldn't because he was such a major part of the film. And I did think about it watching the film. My daughter Clem and her partner Will are DJs. They don't play Michael Jackson anymore um, unless, as Clem said, she's at a wedding and somebody's absolutely desperate and he's her absolute favourite. She's not going to completely take a stand. She also has an issue with the the rap artist R. Kelly. And uh, I don't know. I think that um, I still go to Woody, Woody Allen movies because I love him. I'm not exactly, I still don't really quite know what went down there, but I know it was bad. Do you have any great examples? Do you- well, I, well, this discussion between you and I came about, it was actually prompted by a chat I had with Francesca, my daughter, when I'd been into a shop and I'd heard uh, Michael Jackson, actually it was the Jackson 5, um, don't blame it on the boogie. And just, I, just blame it on the boogie. Okay, so yes, got, that's, a, that's a Scott Morrison moment. <laughs> Not only getting the lyrics wrong, getting the title wrong. Uh, yes, and I wondered out loud to check out, mm, it's a great song. I love it. It's a real toe-tapper. And how do we feel about these things these days? And we had an interesting discussion about it. She said, look, there's just it's very difficult for people to play Michael Jackson, as you say. I remember when I was working at the... National Gallery of Victoria, uh, and we had a Caravaggio exhibition. It must have been about 2003 or four. I can't remember the exact, maybe 2004. 
And Caravaggio was a, a scandalous, scandalous um, painter uh, of the um, 18th century, I think it was. And um, and ha- it was just, I mean, he had a weird sex life and he was, uh, he, uh, I mean, history does relate what a terrible person he was. And I wondered, were we going to have any issues with this in terms of the public or the media? Why are we spending all of this money? Why is the state government of Victoria spending all of this money bringing out uh, the the work of a notorious artist? Who actually died in 1610, so it was a oh, bit sorry. earlier. Yes, yeah. 17th, yeah, early 17th century. He's a, he's a, he was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant artist. But And you, when you go to Rome and you find a nice little yeah. church that's got Caravaggio's, you flock into it. But this is, what, 17 years before cancel culture became a big thing. So even though I was aware and, and that was my job to to be jumping at shadows and and I guess predicting what the bad story might be, um, we didn't have any issues with that so much. You know, my feeling about this, Caro, is we should be able to let the work speak for itself within reason. We should be able to. But if watching a, a program or a film or listening to a piece of music or seeing an artwork by somebody who makes you feel uncomfortable, by somebody who is uh, a creep or, um, you know, has been cancelled. Um, if the artwork, if, if it loses its magic, then absolutely not. I have to say there was a, I think in the Bill Cosby trial recently or there was a retrial or, or I don't know what it was, um, maybe it was an appeal, but he, he popped up over summer on our screens and they showed old footage of the Cosby show from the 1980s, which I loved. The kids, they were babies, but, you know, we loved the Cosby show. I couldn't look at it. I I just, I felt so uncomfortable with that show and thinking, even guilt, like I loved that show and I fed into the whole kind of thing. Rolf Harris, when he sings When We Were Two Little Boys, you know, I just like, oh. We we started singing Don't Ask Me Why and it was led by my son-in-law, Oscar, soon-to-be son-in-law, Oscar, Jake the Pig on um, Christmas Eve by the I don't know why we started. Anyway, because you were legless. We were, well, we actually weren't, but we were killing ourselves laughing. And I and I kept saying, "Oh, I don't really think we should be singing Rolf Harris songs." But we used to watch his show. Remember when he did the picture at the end of the show? And but my, one of my favourite songs growing up, and I know we've had this discussion. Who did you stick? Who did you stick on? You know, on the poster board in your room was it Donny Osmond? Or was it David Cassidy or was it Michael Jackson? I was such a fan of Michael Jackson. I adored his well, he was brilliant. song. I adored his, his song, Ben. Bri- Do you remember oh, Ben about the yeah. rash? So yeah. so it's very difficult for me. But Kevin Spacey is another one, Caro. See, we were quite addicted to um, House of Cards. House of Cards. And the, the He's last, a very good actor. And once he was, he was not in that final series that they were making, it was a bit odd. But, uh, you know, do you go back and do you watch House of Cards with the same – same sense. Well, of- my my first it's my first ever concert, you know, that I went to. Um, my father took my sister and I to Festival Hall to see Gary Glitter, and he came out on the motorcycle and yelled, "Do you want to touch me?" <laughs> and Dad still tells the story. He got us his really good seats through some contact. We were front row in the upper bit, you know, the. Um, I suppose it would be called the dress circle if you were at the ballet, the upstairs bit. Dad claims the minute he came out, I grabbed my sister and we just disappeared down into the mosh pit at the front. He didn't see us to the end of the show. We loved it and we loved Gary Glitter. I mean, I was sort of 12 at the time or something and I painted glitter on my sister's face and mine. You know, looking back, you know, Gary Glitter, what, it, it, but it does, does it ruin the memory? No. I go and see Woody Allen movies still. I just... I just love his movies and he still gets all these wonderful people to act in his movies. Maybe they're taking a stand. But, you know, watching Death on the Nile with Army Hammer, who is a major part of that film, I still love the film, but I'm thinking all the way through about Army, who, you know, was in Call Me By Your Name, who was in The Social Network, whose acting I've really enjoyed, but can't really enjoy him anymore. Well, and also, I, mean, I was thinking about this too the other day, Keir Stomer, who is the uh, leader of the opposition in the UK, he was... Um, he was uh, Taken to task by Boris Johnson because when um, when Keir was the um, head of public pro- prosecutions, he uh, well actually Boris Johnson incorrectly inferred that he let Jimmy Savile get off, that he should have worked harder to get Jimmy Savile off, which was actually factually incorrect. But the the 
social media went nuts about this one way and the other with this and so now it's Keir Starmer has to constantly refer to this I did not have anything to do with the Jimmy Savile cases who of course is a well-known pedophile now but and has been completely cancelled out but it's that it's being tarnished with the brush that's not even your brush it's not even your mud. But you make a good point about Caravaggio because so many so much of art that we adore you know dating back to the 15, 16, 17, 18, 1900s was perpetuated by deeply flawed characters, just like there are deeply flawed characters in every walk of life. Now, we don't ban them. We, we don't dis Caravaggio so much, do we, because of what he did, because that was a different time. We're judging things in our own context of now. And that's why Michael Jackson, despite the fact that we all just, or most people love his music, young people have taken a stand and won't play it. And we all feel a bit weird listening to it now. And it and does. What, what about a Roman Polanski movie? Well, agree. I mean, again, I've sort of loved some of his movies. Um, I mean, I, I, Rosemary's Baby is a is a brilliant movie, but when you watch it in the context of what happened with that very, very young girl, you know, I remember when that case broke and um, well, she was 13 or something and she might have looked older, but still, you know. But with no, you, it's I don't... interesting about the Woody Allen thing because Chekham said this too, like you, she's a mad film buff and she has seen all the Woody Allen movies and says she, he is seminal to her understanding of so many of life's and relationships, you know, the complex issues of. And so if do we watch a Woody Allen movie directed by somebody who has who has not served any time in a prison and there are allegations swirling around him that he... Never tested in court. Never tested in court about his relationship with um, Mia Farrow's children or their children. But uh, do we not... Do we do we suddenly say, Annie Hall, we can't ever watch it again? Yeah, I, I think what Woody's crimes are, are less tangible, I suppose, because as we said, they're not proven... Um, I feel slightly different about Michael Jackson than I do about Woody Allen. And so I think that um, maybe it's what it's sort of in your gut, isn't it? It's not you can say that I don't really approve of that. And obviously something bad's happened, but it's when it actually ruins it for you. And what if you say to someone, oh, I love Michael Jackson's songs, I still listen to them. Does the whole dinner party or the group of girls or whoever you share that piece of information with, do they suddenly think lesser of you? Speaking of, how good was Eminem at the halftime of the Super Bowl? <laughs> Which obviously Los Angeles won. They beat Cincinnati and they're you know, rioting in the streets, I think, this morning. But, um, and, and, you know, they lost, said, no, lost nothing. Oh, look, and I think, was he the only white performer? They told him, I'm told, reliably informed by my daughter Clementine um, a couple of days earlier. You can't take the knee. Don't take the knee. But it was just such an amazing moment when he did. And people have different views about all of the performances, but I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, Corrie, fascinating um, to be picked up in a moment when I talk about Death on the Nile. But we're going now to Dear Caro and Corrie. Hi, pod stars. I like the um, opening anyway. <laughs> My neighbours are lovely, but have a really annoying wind chime. Oh, I don't want to upset them, but how can I tell them it's annoying? Or should I just live with it and be grateful for having such nice neighbours? Cheers, Gab. Pick it up, Corrie. Well, I can tell by your... Oh, that you clearly do not approve of wind chimes. The fact that I have a, a couple of beautiful bells from Thailand in my garden hanging off the tea tree... That must really give you the irks every time you come and play Scrabble. Well, I didn't no, realise. No, but you're not my neighbour and you're in a sort of, you're in an area where I don't think they would bother too many people. Like you're not living cheek by jowl with anyone, are you, really? No, our, our neighbours have a snake alarm, which uh, really I had to, when winter came last year, I had to, uh, well, I didn't do it. I asked Pete to actually contact them and say, could they please turn So the what does off. Gab do? Does she suck it up or does she okay. speak, speak up? Uh, I am quoting, you can tell that I spent the last night at, with the Brunswick family. Uh, Lib told me, and I think this is the absolutely perfect answer. Gab, Lib says that you should blame a third party like the cat or the baby. Oh, it just drives them crazy. Would you mind awfully? I think that's great. I think it's good advice, but if it was me, I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't what would you buy do? It. Just knock on the door and say, get rid of your wind chimes. Look, uh, I'm not I'm not a wind chime fan. <laughs> 
and we if, noted. Do we have any wind chime music and if, there, and if if I'm not a wind chime fan, but I don't sort of loathe them. There are sounds I hate more. I mean, a constantly barking dog, for example. Or those leaf blowers. I would absolutely hate. Chainsaws at 8 o'clock at night or 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, chainsaws are, are, can be a cacophony around where I live sometimes. Um, don't mind crying babies because a crying baby, oh, die, my skin's crawling. Why do people want them? Crying babies it's, it's soothing. never bother me because as it's long as it's soothing. not my baby. See, this is like being in a yoga studio. I think I think the, the key Jane's to this... Flo- Jane's floating. She's levitating <laughs> above the desk. The key to this letter is the fact that they're really nice neighbours. If they were annoying neighbours or bad neighbours and they cut down their hedge and it landed in your back courtyard, note to a former neighbour of mine, then I might arc up about the wind chime. But if that is their only problem, I think you've just got to leave it alone. As I said, Corrie, there are worse noises. There are worse crimes. And if they're really nice neighbours, if you came to me and you were my neighbour and you blamed the dog or the baby, I wouldn't buy it. It's like when people say, when friends say, oh, look, my husband doesn't want to do it or my husband this or my husband that. You're going, look, just own it, would you please? You've got to own these things. And I think no, I would know Note to self, note to Caro's friends, just remember that. Well, you know, it's either... <laughs> don't blame the husband, don't blame the baby, oh, well, don't People blame always the blame their husbands or their mothers or their children or they quote someone. And I look, I just think you need to um, own decisions. And I think if the wind chimes are really, really driving you nuts, you, you're going to have to speak up. But personally, Gab... I'd just let it slide. Yeah, and Gab, also, there are a lot of awful neighbours out there. If you have if you have nice neighbours, that's the bonus. That's the upside. So the price you're paying is listening to the wind chimes. But I'm still with Lib. I would just be looking for that innocent third party, preferably one who can't speak for themselves like a cat or a baby. <laughs> Look, I think falling out with your family is one of the worst things ever, you know, with siblings or parents or whatever or children. Falling out with your neighbours can be a real problem. <laughs> It can be a real problem. I mean, I think the downside... Fortunately, I've never done that. I've never had a, an argy-bargy No, I, I don't think I have either. But you know people who tell you stories about their bad neighbours? I mean, it actually hurts their lives. It doesn't ruin their lives, but it is a really bad punctuation mark in their day-to-day life. So for me, I would go for the happy neighbours and pray for, a you know, no Easterlies over Marsh. <laughs> Anyway, as always, Corrie, after we solve these things, or try to, we head for a drink. It's time for the Cocktail Cabinet, brought to us by Prince Wine Store, one of our two wonderful sponsors. Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wines in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and here we go. And remember, Corrie, everybody needs to use the promo code M-E-S-S, all in capitals, that's short for messenger, at checkout online to receive your list and discount. You'll find the links in our show notes. Miss Jane's got a couple of suggestions for us today. Hello, ladies. Uh, look, Miles... Jane's been on the chirps again. <laughs> no, actually the opposite. But um, the team at Prince Wine Store are actually preparing this week to head to France for a buying trip. Oh. Michael and Miles packing their bags. Could you be more jealous of someone's work role at this point in time? <laughs> that is a buying trip I would take on. Go ahead, Jane. Well, look, what I wanted to actually highlight, and Miles, I'm going to leave all the French names to him because I'm hopeless with French. Cory, you'd probably be able to uh, deal with it. But look, the February mixed dozen. <laughs> it's your last chance to get um, some of the mixed dozens, like Miles loves putting them together. But the February mixed dozen is an absolute cracker. So basically, Prince have the uh, the rule. It has to be bloody delicious. It's got to be good for summer heat. They're from all over the world, these mixed dozens, and they represent some of the best drinking around, packed with plenty of juicy, slurpable wines, which I love. Slurpable. Very relaxed description for a wine. Can I I just say in defence of the mixed dozen, I know a lot of people, a lot of wine connoisseurs think this is silly. I picked up the January one, as I said, a couple of weeks ago from Prince from their South Melbourne store, and we haven't gone through, we're not that big drinkers, but we have, so we haven't gone through the whole dozen, but we've tried four or five, and it is actually really fun. 
to discover. So we've had a couple that we've taken notes. We're going to go back and get another dozen. It's always interesting to go outside your your safety zone. So here's just a couple of highlights uh, in this February mixed dozen. The Mandy Sangiovese 2021. Based in Mildura, Mandy Wines, uh, local legend Kev McCarthy and Queerly. I love that. Oh. Kev. <laughs> Kev. Kev the wine maker. Anything with the word Sangiovese in it, I just think immediately is going to be fabulous. Uh, see, there you go. I steer clear because I'm never quite sure. Um, oh, so no, I love it. It's apparently a perfect warm weather red, bright cherry fruit and a hint of black currant. So that's one of the mixed dozen. Uh, then the Hugel Gentil 2008. 19. Upfront floral appeal. Orange blossom and roses. Juicy fruit, generous body and just enough acidity to keep it bright at the finish. Another one, orange blossom. That always gets me. (laughs) In fact, I love any wine with the word orange in it, including natural orange wine. Go ahead, James. And then the Amen Break Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir? Mm-hmm. That's a bit, it's easy to say. Yep, that's 2018. Um, and this, I don't know, I have never heard of this little winery. Um, the grapes grown at the Zebra Vineyard in Bendigo, which apparently has uh, lots of, you know, that terroir. It's obviously on different soil that we get uh, perhaps in various parts of Victoria. So that one sounds pretty good to me. And then the last one I just wanted to highlight is the Beautiful Isle White Delicious 2018. It's a tribute to Tasmania's Apple Isle heritage based on the family estate Marion's Vineyard, which was once an apple and pear orchard dating back to the 1800s. Oh, so nice oh, you're selling there. it well, Jane. So look, yeah, look, watch out miles, actually. See, that's <laughs> that's another one. for another job. Have you ever met a Tasmanian wine you didn't like? No, true. I honestly True. can't think of... Agree. So, Caro, the February Mixed Dozen, the 2022 Summer Sizzler, $260. The regular price, if you just pop them all in your cart, is $327. So the value is definitely there. And what I love, the descriptions on the website are so good at Prince Wine Store that even someone like me that has no wine knowledge, basically, can really feel like you've got a sense of what you might be opening in the bottle. Like, it's really descriptive and really beautiful. So, princewinestore.com.au for all of the details. It's your own little wine course there. And I just wanted to mention, Jane and Caro, that uh, Mary, a friend of ours, Mary, contacted me to say that she absolutely loves the Liars non-alcoholic range. We talked about that last week. And her two favourite uh, two favorite ones, um, Dried London Spirit, which is a little bit like a, a gin, and the Liars Italian Spritz, which you'd love, Caro, because it's got a it's it's got a bit of an orange taste. Yes, I've had that. I had it at a drinks party the other night and really enjoyed it. She Thought loves I was them. having a Campari or an Aperol. Yeah, and she says she serves them over ice with tonic and lemon slices for the gin and orange slices for the spritz. So that's another endorsement of uh, of that non-alcoholic booze, which of course is available at Prince Wine Store. Thank you again to Prince Wine Store, and we look forward to talking to Miles in the depths of wine country in beautiful France. Corrie, now it's time for BSF and you are going to kick us off with a book. I am indeed. This is a non-fiction book. This is a collection of stories. They actually first appeared in one of the UK newspapers as a series, but uh, it's by Jeremy Clarkson, who you will remember from the motoring shows, the very successful motoring shows. He has become a massive Celebrity, really, in the in the UK, and has Isn't, made... didn't he have some bad behaviour as well? Didn't oh. his didn't his show the um, car show? I think there was some poor treatment of staff. But oh, anyway, okay. We can, oh, here's am another I allowed one. To talk about this now? cancel culture, cancel culture. <laughs> okay, no, that's all right. That's um, fine. So this book, Carol, is called Diddly Squat: A Year on the Farm, and these um, these columns that he that he wrote uh, for the Sunday Times. Uh, happened uh, after he bought this he bought this land years ago uh, in the Cotswolds, a big property, a thousand acres, and and he'd always had staff to to work it. And when his main farmer, main manager, decided to retire, this was toward uh, middle end of two thousand and nineteen. Jeremy decided that he'd take a bit of time off, and he was going to become the farmer, the key person. And then, of course, this morphed into COVID times. We know UK had a terrible lockdown like Melbourne did. 
went on for months and months. So he really became immersed in Cotswold life. He started writing a collection of, of columns which were hugely popular for the Sunday Times. And then they made Amazon Prime have made a television program, which is brilliant, can I say, uh, called Clarkson's Farm. And I know a, a number of young people actually who have jumped onto this and really enjoyed it. It is. It is not. Um, it, it's not all happy and 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 easy and fun and uh, you know, tending to your bees and sitting in paddocks looking at your work at the end of the day. This is fierce, <laughs> difficult. I don't stuff. think we did. We thought live farm life was like that, did we? It is such difficult stuff, and each chapter is sort of hilarious. He starts off because he has to buy new um, new equipment. And he, with his motoring hat on, he goes and buys a Lamborghini tractor, which of course is just so powerful and so amazing and he's so excited about it. And he drives it home, goes to, arrives at, at the barn and, uh, yep, missed it by that much. The Lamborghini tractor is too big to fit in the farm, in, in the barn. So he has to build a new barn. But, and then he comes across a, a young 21-year-old chap called Caleb who's who's born and bred in the Cotswolds, never been anywhere, um, is an absolute farming guru who says, look, I'll come and give you a hand a few hours a week. He is utterly perplexed by the, the, I mean, the way Caleb speaks to this national treasure, Jeremy Clarkson, this man of television and newspaper fame is hilarious. Caleb just goes, (laughs) one stage, Jeremy Clarkson decides that he's going to plow, it'll be quicker to plow the field in circles because he can start with a big layer of the onion and go smaller and smaller. And Caleb turns up and says, what if you, What are you doing? You're supposed to go up, down, up, down. Why am I supposed to do that? I thought this was quicker. No, you've got to be able, once we plant things and they start growing, we've got to be able to see the tracks where we can actually walk. <laughs> you've got us going around. It is really, it's a great book. And in particular, can I just mention the... The chapter of this book on sheep is hilarious where Jeremy likens them to difficult teenage boys because they never listen to anything. They're constantly being naughty and they're always trying to get out of home. They're always trying to work out another way to jump the fence. So I recommend Diddly Squat, A Year on the Farm, and if you are looking for a lovely series to glue onto Amazon Prime, Clarkson's Farm. It's just an absolute delight. And the Countryside Caro is superb. I just wanted to mention another book too, which um, the old gang at the bookshop will remember. I have um, recommended this ad nauseum. The Secret Life of Cows by Rosamond Young is one of my favourite fiction, non-fiction books of all time. It is a little gem. It was first published in 2017. It was the Times Book of the Year. And Rosamond Young has a farm uh, just out of Yorkshire that she runs with her brother. It's been in the family for three generations. And they have uh, they have inherited from their father and their grandfather the understanding of cows and cows, the way they, they, the way they talk to you, the way they interact with one another. It's it's hilarious. It's beautiful. It's a great book, especially a really good hostess gift if you're going to stay with somebody who is landed gentry. So those are my two books. <laughs> As we do um, on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> well, I hope Jeremy is treating his staff better than he did at Amazon Prime than he did at Top Gear, but I'm sure he's learnt the error of his ways and it sounds like a great book. Well, so. I, I, hope he's, I hope he's treating the sheep a little better because... He, <laughs> And he insists on calling them <laughs> sheeps. I don't know whether that – is that deliberate, Caro? Do you think that he just doesn't know? Anyway, um, that's that and on to screen and you have your film to talk about. Well, yeah, I went and saw Death on the Nile last night, which, um, as I said, the production's been delayed and delayed and delayed. Not the production, the release due to COVID and all these other reasons. This – the original – I don't know if it was made back in the – I think the first production that I saw was 1978 and, you know – the cast of the new one is amazing, but when you look back to the Peter Ustinov Hercule Poirot, Betty Davis, Mia Farrow, David Niven, Maggie Smith, Angela Lansbury, Jane Birkin, Lois Childs, John Finch, Olivia Hussey, George Kennedy, I mean, Jack Warden, the cast of those Agatha Christie's made in the 70s with Ustinov were unbelievable. This new one is an equally, well, not quite as star-studded as that, but the, the Betty Davis and Maggie Smith pair, the travelling ladies, um, are now played by Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders. And um, when I saw that, Mum and I were most excited. I reckon they're a bit underutilised. 
Um, the, it would the, be hard, though, wouldn't it, to get the balance right because they have a tendency to dominate every shot that they're in. Yes, and, and there's not that much. There's a little bit of humour, but not that much. Um, Kenneth Branagh directed this. He stars again as Hercule Poirot, as he did on Murder on the Orient Express. As with Murder on the Orient Express, where the train was probably the biggest star, the boat um, the Karnak, the boat that travels down the Nile is just, and the cinematography and the shots of the Nile, as someone who's done that trip many years ago as a 20-something, it, it is just so beautiful and it's so beautifully shot. I mean, it's quite, quite breathtaking. Um, it's a very good film, Corrie. It, it, like all um, Agatha Christie's, it's hammed up a bit. There's a, there's a bit of overacting, which I quite enjoyed. Gal Gadot plays um, Lynette Ridgway, um, the heiress of, in the film, and she, of course, spent two years, I think, serving in the Israeli army. She was an Israeli beauty queen. She is so beautiful. Um, she so, so the film has actually been banned, I think, in Kuwait and Lebanon because of her time in the Israeli army. So it's had several issues, not just... Cancel, uh, cancel. Well, exactly, not not just Army Hammer. Um, Russell Brand emerges as a serious character in this film, which is quite extraordinary. As I mentioned Dawn French, a couple of brilliant new characters who weren't, well, very different from the original film. There's a Hercule Poirot backstory that is launched in um, 1914 in World oh, War really? One, which is really interesting and a personal backstory that ends, both begin, starts and ends the film. Absolutely Does it make it or not? Because one of the things we love about Hercules is always rather unobtainable. You know, we see another side to the old Hercule in this. There are a couple of moments of comedy. Um, Annette Benning is very good in it. It's a great cast. It's complete. How's the lovely Ken? How's his? How's he? He's great. He's great. But as I said, the backstory is interesting. Um, I think David Suchet is probably. You know, he, he's so brilliant as Hercule Poirot, and I just love that series on television. But honestly, I would. I'd highly recommend it anyway. Army Hammer does does sort of perturb you a little bit because he has been, to me, so damaged because I've read all the Vanity Fair stuff and all the other stuff about his private life, which is pretty disturbing. But um, as I said, fascinating film, particularly with the backstory, particularly with a couple of plot lines that weren't in the original film, and it's just worth it for the boat and the Nile. You just want to go back there. So um, it's showing pretty much everywhere at or the moment. Or go there in my case. Oh, And possibly Jane's. We've you, never done the Nile, have you travelled we? the Nile, Miss Jane? Head shake um, there. I, I think what we should do is we should do a, a, a Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast tour of the Nile, a boat, a boat trip. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? We could host Corrie. Yeah, I'd happily do that. <laughs> we, could just have, we could just have endless days of Scrabble. Oh, there are the pyramids. Is that a seven-letter word? <laughs> I have done the Mekong. And there was a little bit of scrabble on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never right. done the meat Kong. Oh, no, I was washing my hair in the Nile on my felucca back in the 80s, riding donkeys <laughs> through the Valley of Kings. Oh, it's the best trip. Long time ago. Corrie, I have a recipe. It's a summer recipe. And we've all made this many times. There are a lot of different versions. But our dear friend Mary Clark made it for me the other night. It was delicious. Gazpacho. He has this recipe from Miss Jane. I've sent you a copy of the recipe, which we can put on the show notes. The Paddington Terrace Cookbook that I think was first published in 1975 and the last printing was 1976. Though so this is a very old recipe. Gazpacho is a great meal or a great entree or a great mm, something. So long as you get the texture right. She did. She nailed it. She served it in lovely glasses, cocktail glasses. Oh, how 70s. With a beautiful homemade parsley I can oil. I feel the aura of my mother in this room as you speak. Yep. Your, your mum would have, Peg would have done a great job on gazpacho as my mum, Julia, has over the um, past years. I was given some great cucumbers from my cousin, Wayne, the other day. And so I... I'm going to make it again because... I did too. Miss Jane's got her hand up. I'm just reading the recipe, Cara. You've got to read the intro. Gazpacho recipes abound, but we include this one because it's great for guests who know each other slightly or not at all. It always makes them the firmest of friends before the second course appears on the table. A good gazpacho will do that. Jane. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that hysterical? Now, I another great friend, Emma Strauss of Mandalay fame, the, the designer, she often serves prawns with her gazpacho, which I think is a great addition, just chopped on top or having on the side. Mary did hers, as I said, with this beautiful parsley oil and 
some maybe a bit of mozzarella ball or something, buffalo mozzarella. Anyway, look, there's no peppers in this one. Mum always put green peppers or red peppers in hers, I think. Um, it's a puree. Um, you basically puree the lot in the blender or put it through a fine sieve. Cucumbers, a can of tomatoes, a big bottle of tomato puree, plus heaps and heaps of tomatoes and a mixture of all of the above, depending what you've got. A slice of white bread, which has been soaked in cold water from which surplus liquid has been squeezed. Boiling water, salad oil, he used olive oil, uh, lemon juice, clove of garlic, ground black pepper and a whisper of sugar. Add the salt to taste and um, chill well. Corrie, this is a great recipe. It's on the show notes. I highly recommend it. Very healthy and delicious. We were probably already the firmest of friends when we had this the other night, but it was very nice anyway. Um, I should also mention that, Corrie, on your book pod, you're talking to Trent Dalton as a Valentine's Day special, and that's that episode is now available. Trent Dalton, interviewed by Corrie on her book pod. That was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Corrie, isn't a time you called Red Energy? The number, if you want to, is 131806, and you should. Corrie, what are you grumpy about? Caro, I'm grumpy about the protesters that became increasingly menacing during Canberra's Lifeline Book Fair on the weekend. This is an annual fundraiser. And there is, uh, as you know, uh, an anti-vaxxer protest going on. And it became... They be, the crowd became quite menacing to the point where uh, the organisers of the book fair, which is one of the Canberra Lifeline's significant fundraisers for the year, they felt on Saturday afternoon that they actually had to cancel it and the volunteers had to pack up uh, no. from Exhibition Park. No, I didn't. I have not across this story. So they raised, on the Friday, they raised $250,000. So this is not just like a little book fair, let me say. And the organisers of Lifeline Canberra's book fair were really excited for a bumper weekend and they were absolutely confident they would reach their $1 million goal and probably surpass it. These funds are vital, can I say, for Lifeline. Absolutely vital. And as we know, they have been inundated over the past couple of years during lockdown in particular. But abuse was directed at the volunteers and the visitors on Friday. And then overnight, I gather, there was a destruction of the fences and this forced the event to be cancelled. And one of the organisers said um, the abuse of the people was just, it just couldn't be tolerated. It was very distressing to watch. We didn't have anywhere safe to park and people couldn't access us, us on foot without coming into contact with people at the camp. So it just wasn't safe. And, Caro, we all support the individual's right to protest, but the action on the weekend, gosh, it just created fear and anxiety and... It's appalling. And Lifeline wasn't able to to raise funds. They had to just pack up and go home. So I was a bit agitated about that. It made me grumpy listening to that story on Monday morning, and um, I'll just leave it at that. Six quick questions. Shall we jump into this? For Red Energy, uh, very good grumpy, Corrie. I'll kick it off for you. This week's episode of Four Corners, the spotlight, as we foreshadowed last week, was on Anthony Albanese. Good or bad for him and the ALP? Uh, not bad, not great. So I would sit, say they're probably sitting in the same ballpark. Uh, one of the interviews... Did we, we see Mrs Albo? <laughs> there's no Mrs Albo. There's oh. a partner. But oh. it's interesting, well, isn't yeah. it? Is there, did we see yeah, the... Yeah, no, no. No, it's very interesting that that... that, um, I, mean, that I guess is, that'll happen later, won't it? Well, yes. I, I I gather they are a solid relationship, but that's... Yes, he, he separated or divorced a, uh, divorced a few years ago from his wife. He has one son, but um, there's no... There's, there's nothing at the moment that's going to deviate from... They've actually got to build up Anthony Albanese's profile. Um, so as we know, the Four Corners set up was they were interviewing a number of uh, really articulate, terrific voters in swinging seats around the country, men and women of all different backgrounds. One of them said, when I heard that Anthony Albanese had been elected, I thought, really? Is that the best they've got? <laughs> Which didn't sort of go down all that well. Um, interesting to see, Caro, they showed footage of him taking the or accepting the um, the, the role as the head of the leader of the opposition from Bill Shorten uh, in 2019. Interesting to see how much weight he has lost and how match fit Anthony Albanese now is. Really interesting. Really, he's getting ready. He is match fit for this election. 
Um, he has had a beer named after him, which I didn't realise. And also I didn't realise that he uh, once hosted an episode of Rage because he is a massive Muso fan. Occasionally on weekends he DJs at his local pub. You've and, just hijacked this week. So they're better amazing a, facts than my amazing facts. And he facts. is a Nirvana fan. Did you know that? But anyway, it was interesting to see, um, as, you know, and as, as a, again, one of the articulate mobs said, um, he really needs to transition from Albo to Anthony Albanese if the electorate are to take him seriously. And I thought that was a really important point. So, look, I, I'm kind of, I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence on this one, but um, I, don't think, I don't think the Four Corners episode did him any harm but I'm not sure to what extent it has built, further built his his um, profile. So, yeah, it was interesting. Caro, should John Elliott's name be returned to the standard Icon Park, which we all know as Princess Park? No, it shouldn't. Um, Jeff Kennett made an impassioned plea that it should happen at a memorial service held for John Elliott last Friday, actually in the Legend Stand, which was once called the Elliott Stand. And apparently the room, according to my father, who was there and a great friend of John Elliott, according to the room, it received, you know, pretty much resounding applause. But look, unfortunately, um, the salary cap cheating, the systematic salary cap cheating, which was um, punished a a very, very heavy punishment by the AFL back in the early um, 2000s, set the club back, well, some would say 20 years, although following administrations have have to carry the can for that as well. But um, I think it certainly set the club back a decade. And I I think that in this case... um, John Elliott will be remembered for some of the good things he did at Carlton, including presiding over premierships, but no, his name should not be. I, I had a feeling it was a bit of a nostalgic moment. Yes, Just I think like... Jeff Kennett probably firmly believes it, um, but I think he was playing to the crowd as well. I wasn't there, but that's what I think. Corrie, which recent word or word caused a flurry of social media commentary? Uh, Wordle went nuts when moist was the word of the day, Caro. <laughs> Now, look, in defence of moist, so somebody the other night said, oh, this is a delicious cake that you've made. Again, I was on my cake bandwagon. And, um, and Annabelle like, Crabb didn't like that. I recall when we had her on the pod, had an issue with moist. <laughs> and look, how else do you describe it? Because this recipe that I did, like you with the gazpacho or like Mary with the gazpacho, I had to squeeze the sur- surplus liquid out of my fruit. Um, to make it less moist. To make it less moist, but it was still a <laughs> really moist. moist cake. But what do you say? The cake is wet? No. The cake is delicious. Well, there was a, there was a lot of that, uh, dare I say. Oh. <laughs> now that you're the cake queen, I, I think moist is a great word. I don't have an issue with moist. Well, I don't. But the other day when it was the Wordle word, uh, again, quoting social media, it went off. It went off. So I don't understand it. Um, Caro, Oscar nominations have come out. Uh, they were announced last week. And as you and I know, because it's in our diaries, the award ceremony is on March 27. Which film do you think will pick up all the awards, win the best Oscar picture, uh, you know, best picture, best actor, best actress, all of that? Well, I should say that I was pretty shocked that Lady Gaga missed out for The House of Gucci in the best actor, woman actor. Even though you weren't mad on that film? No, but I did say that she was brilliant in it and I I still believe that. I was really surprised by that. People say she didn't promote herself enough. I don't know what went on there, but I was really surprised. Look, I haven't seen all the nominations, Corrie, but from what I'm hearing, uh, The Power of the Dog, I could see, was a brilliant film, but you know, as it stood, but I, I just found it too grim. Oh, it is such a bleak film. Yep. I, I don't think... Brilliant, but bleak. People who've seen it assure me that Belfast is unbelievable. Another Kenneth Branagh-directed film. I'm really looking... We almost saw that last night, but it was sold out, so we went to Death on the Nile instead. I reckon he sounds like he should be right up there. People rave about King Richard, still haven't seen that, the William Sisters film, and Licorice Pizza is the one that my What's son, that one about? I haven't seen it, but it's meant to be absolutely brilliant. It's a bit of a coming of age one, I believe, and it sounds fabulous. I'm backing. I do think Benedict Cumberbatch is a big chance for The Power of the Dog for Best Actor. Um, what about Anna Cole? 
Well, I'm just just on on, on that subject, on being the Ricardos. I reckon Javier Bardem, who's also been nominated, who played Desi Arnaz, is a good chance. The women, uh, there's a, and I've seen all of these films. So this is going to be really, really tough to know who gets it. Nicole for being the in being the Ricardos, despite her very bad facial expressions and that shocking sort of work that's been done, and the fact that she's a lot older than Lucille Ball, I thought was brilliant. Um, I also thought Olivia Coleman was great in The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers, but I reckon Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Do you? I thought she was fabulous. I thought she was really, really good. I haven't seen The Eyes of Tammy Faye, so I'm not sure about that one. But I'd be happy with any of the above. I think Nicole or Christian, though, it'd be mine. Can I throw in a question without notice? Do you have a favourite to replace, to, to take over the hosting of the 7.30 report now that Lee's stepping down? Mm, I sure do. Who is it? Ellen Fanning. Do you? Mm-hmm. Do you? I think I, I, the drum is one of my absolute go-tos. I love it. And I love Julia Baird as well, I have to say. But the two hosts, they they share the role. The two hosts are both terrific. There is something about Ellen Fanning that I think would really, really suit 7.30pm on the ABC. I think she's an absolute ripper. But isn't it interesting, Carol, how the same old names come up every time? Latrioli, again, has been mentioned. Oh, well, that's Our friend a bit, Virginia. That's hardly um, the same. I mean, she'd sta- be a well, I she's, she'd but she's be just But she's just doing such a great job on morning radio. I wouldn't move her if I was the ABC management. Stan Grant's been mentioned again. Emma Alberici. Now, she would be great. Can, she, can they bring her back into the fold? Maybe they do something a little left field like Waleed Ali and bring him back to um, the ABC from commercial television. Um, Fran Kelly, I'd love to see her, but she's clearly said I'm re- I've retired now. Tamara O'Dyne, who reads the ABC News in Melbourne, is such a talent. Now, yeah. I don't know about her interviewing skills because that's a significant part of this role. But I wouldn't put Laura... People have spoken about our lovely friend Laura Tingle. Happy birthday, Laura, for yesterday. <laughs> but um, I think Laura is perfectly positioned where she is. Oh as yeah, the no, I don't. Correspondent no, I, I think she's a, a great. Uh, people don't like her, who I know. I don't understand it. I think she's brilliant, but um, no, personally, um, Virginia Trioli would be one of my absolute favourites. I wouldn't mind David Spears either. I think he's a great host. Yes, yeah, he. Although, but I like I like the way he's he's on insiders. Yeah, I like the way he's done insiders and and being quite a different sort of personality to Barry, which is great. Uh, but he's he's so in control of that show. I like him. I, it, it's interesting because you don't want to t- you don't want to rob another show of what's working well. That, like that's my point about Virginia Triol. I mean, you could put Virginia anywhere and she'd be great. But I just think this thing of doing Q and A every couple of weeks and the um, morning show on um, Melbourne radio is is brilliant for her. Oh, anyway, but national television in an election year. Oh, do you oh, think? Oh, that's oh no, weird. Lee's doing Lee's doing it till the election. But you know, well, yes, yeah, sorry, but. She's stepping down after May, after isn't the election, she? So yeah. David Spears, I reckon, or Virginia Trioli mm, would be Good mine. question. But so there we go. Seven questions. <laughs> oh, okay. No, well, I've got another one. Which new way of disarming anti-vaxxer protest mobs took your fancy this week? Well, haven't is this the one we just talked about? No, no. Another this, one. This happened in New Zealand, and this is um, when the New Zealand government, they New Zealand officials became so fed up with the protesters outside Parliament House, they decided to put Barry Manilow on repeat. Oh yes. Yeah, I love that too. And don't you think, I reckon Barry would have enjoyed that. (laughs) And the New Zealand officials thought that people were going to be, you know, like, turn it off, I'm going home. They also had the Macarena. And in fact, the crowd were loving it. They were all just dancing away. (laughs) Didn't James Blunt put out a tweet saying, I'll step up if they don't want, he he was happy to do it, which I thought was really funny. I reckon Barry would have seen the humour in that. Don't you? I do. I think I he. Do. I think he had his self-deprecating moments. No, that was very. I funny. did. When I first read the story, I thought in defence of Barry was. Oh no, that's terrible. I thought oh, actually it's quite fun. I think remember he old like Mandy, which was yes. once old Brandy, and he changed it to old Mandy. <laughs> I love Barry Manilow. Um, Caro, what's your amazing fact for this week? Well, the, it, it's a culmination of things um, Super Bowl related. It is just extraordinary the amount 
of, uh, you know, the money surrounding this one big event. And we all say, you know, every time there's halftime entertainment there, you know, why can't we do this at the MCG with the grand final? Completely different, would never work. Completely different idea, different show, etc. Don't need it here. But it is extraordinary the talent that they get. but the And the commercials, you know, you watch it for the commercials because it's so interesting seeing all the new ads. Six to 6.5 million US dollars for a 30-second spot. That's what, that's probably pretty good value. How many chicken wings do you reckon are devoured during the Super Bowl across America? How many actual chicken wings? How many? So no, you're not saying weight of them? No. Um, per chicken wing, like how many oh, actual chicken wings? Well, you wings? probably knock off three while you're watching it. So how many people in the US? You probably like um, 250 million chicken wings? 1.4 billion. Oh! 1.4 oh. billion. Do the farmers of the United States go into overdrive in November and December producing their chickens? History doesn't, history doesn't relate. Well, or if you're going to put a fact out there, Caro, just check your facts. Well, it's, the fact is correct, but the research doesn't tell me where they all come from. But what I, the, the other amazing fact about all this, it's a terrible game. I mean, Jared Waitley turns it into an interesting radio show. I, I admit that. His commentary is wonderful. But seriously... It, it, half no, the agree. players don't even touch the ball. It's stop, start, stop, start. Not I mean, even with their hands. With the American connection in my life through my husband, Pete, we've watched a lot of, we watch a lot of American football. We watch college football. Well, I don't. It's on in the background. But we, it, it, Super Bowl month is huge. And I am constantly amazed by it. They're padded up. It's stop, start, play. It's sooky, sooky, la, la if they're tackled. I mean, look at the Australian game. Look at Australian football and compare. It's chalk and cheese. I don't get it. And that's why we don't need all of these M&M and rock stars. 1.4 billion chicken wings. (laughs) Caro, we don't need these rock stars because our game is pure and wonderful. We just celebrate the physical, you know, and the greatness of our game. We don't need all that puff and stuff stuff. Probably covered in batter or breadcrumbs as well. Anyway, oh, stop it. That was this week's podcast of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. Thank you, Prince Wine Store. Thank you, Corrie. Thank you, Miss Jane. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes. Or you can send us an email and we'll subscribe you email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Corrie is collecting a plethora of dear Caro and Corries. We are your modern-day Kate Sampiri. We are your agony aunts. We've got a great dilemma for next week in Corrie's bag of goodies, cheeky Corrie. And Corrie, what do we say? Cheekily, don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.